You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... Welcome back to the love of ground my nose itches. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the love of pages. This is part three. The finale. The finale of the forever war. When the forever war ends. <laughs> Not so forever, it turns out. Not so forever. I keep forgetting to do this, but I'm Elizabeth and I'm joined with Jessica. And I'm Steven. And Steven, I was hoping you could ask to say something in audio since that <laughs> And Steven. <laughs> my book's over there. It's so far. Well, why is it so far away, Steven? It's by my bed. You should go get it. I, what? Okay, I'll go get it. Go get it. Vamp for me. See vamp you for soon. you. I can vamp for Have you. Fun. I'm looking for the page where we discuss. Have fun uh, storming the castle. <laughs> doesn't make any sense why did i say that um i'm trying to find what is the drink what is the drink i don't i don't know i'm f- i'm trying to find the page with the drink i had no idea if there was what a are we drink. drinking tonight we are drinking a midori Cocktail. There we go. That's the word. Midori martini. Oh my god. Midori martini. We're drinking a Midori martini. I had a really long day, so I'm not going to make a lot of sense on this podcast. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's Midori with some vodka, some lemon juice, and one maraschino cherry. Yay! I and like this it. is inspired by a rum antares, which was in the drink. Um, that was being consumed by the Colonel. Mandela's Mandel only friend. Oh, that's how it is. That's what it's called, Jess. I know, but that like smacked my face. Is, is there a Midori sweet? <laughs> it is, but I think I, I just kind of made it real quick and I just threw in half a lemon. Oh. <laughs> Well, not half a lemon, because it called for an ounce, and I was like, ah, it's half a lemon. No, it's not. Stop measuring. (laughs) 
That's what I had. And she kind of squeeze it right in. And there we go. It's a mind's high on the lemon, apparently. <laughs> I like lemon. It is delicious. It just was not what I was expecting because Midori is very sweet. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the first liqueurs I had tried. Yeah. And it's a ridiculously sweet green melon liqueur. It's delicious. Okay. With a maraschino cherry. All good yeah, decisions. That, that sip was a lot better. I think just all the lemon was on top. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are in the last stages of the Forever War. Mm-hmm. So at the end of section two, Mandela, which I've been pronouncing it Mandela, but I'm pretty sure it's Mandela after we get to an explanation about his so name. They say it as Mandela throughout the audiobook. But mm-hmm. it sounds like an audiobook that was recorded quite some time ago, so they might just mm. not have cared. But that's how they chose to say it throughout. Okay. But in any case, Mandela and Mary Gay re-upped. They were told to get stationed. They were going to get stationed on the moon in the Luna colony. And then an hour into arriving, they got new orders to go back out to the front. Gonna go fight. <laughs> gonna go. Um, so they go out. They are both enlisted as lieutenants. Mm-hmm. And lieut- the Lieutenant Mandela section, very short. Yes. Yeah. Um, he is not a lieutenant for long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go into battle and. I can't even figure out. So the year has become 20... Uh, 2150 something. Yeah. In any case, they go into battle. They are on two different... They are leading two different strike forces. Is what they're calling them. And they both lose a limb. Mandela loses a leg and Mary Gay loses an arm. And in the year that it took them to go from getting home to getting reenlisted to going out to this next battle, so year of their actual time, mm-hmm. there was enough time lapsed for Earth to establish a colony on a planet that they call Heaven. And not just a colony, but like several large cities and a whole new way to grow artificial limbs that includes growing, regrowing nerves and flesh. I want some of that. Right? I feel like that's being tested on right now, being able to regrow stuff from like stem cells and stuff. So I don't think we're... I didn't think that was crazy. I was like, yeah, I could definitely see regrowing limbs within the next thousands of years for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, so they then get six months of reprieve on heaven and they go exploring and they spend lots of time together and they figure, you know, they've got. It's now a 10-year term limit. Mm -hmm. The army just keeps upping it on them on how many years they have to stay in before they can retire. But they figure, you know, "Eh, we'll die at some point in those 10 years. 
So they just spend money like crazy, enjoying they themselves. They spend money like crazy, enjoying time. And then it turns out that the only thing they didn't think was possible occurred. They get split up. Yep. Which- to different missions. Uh, Mary Gay gets promoted to a captain. And Mandela gets promoted to major. Based on some tests that they give them in heaven. Yep. So that's the Lieutenant Mandela section. Anybody got any? <laughs> like it, it was, it was like, it was, it was packed, but it was only eighteen pages. Yeah, it was, it like, was packed with stuff. It was so just a bridge. Fishing for yeah. a shark. Yeah, no. What, what was that thing? They talked about that shark like it was just like like I I don't even know how to describe that thing. <laughs> Want to yeah. know how crazy the future is? Megalodons. Megalodons are back. <laughs> <laughs> like that. But that's not just, just live on another planet. Alien future. Alien future Megadons are back. That's true. Yeah. Also a little concerned that, you know, he describes it as, you know, heaven looks the way Earth would if mankind hadn't, you know, destroyed it. And I'm like, but then he goes on to describe all the cities. And I'm like, but they are just, so they are destroying it. Yeah. I think they as four shields where they don't allow predators and the rest of bug life to come in. Yeah, I think what it, it's more like at least it went around the nature of the place as opposed to just obliterating the nature. That's what I was picturing, mm-hmm. but that could be my thing because I had a planet in my sci-fi that like they would grow their buildings around the nature and ensure that if they had to take down any trees, then that building had to replace a tree somewhere, like kind of. Like, it was a super sustainable planet. So, yeah, it had tall buildings. And that was it. Also, growing tall instead of growing out is a big thing, too. And being as sustain Like, you can be sustainable and still live humanly. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to live in a tent kind of thing. It's just all in how you work. That's what I was picturing. No, I, 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 I agree with this one. one. Like, I, I think as opposed to them just, like, uprooting everything and then getting, mm-hmm. like, like, maybe 30% of the use out of the natural resources, I feel like they would have developed the ways, like the means to be able to get the most out of a thing. So they didn't just have to tear everything up to build something small. Yeah. 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 Well, that, I got the impression that they just kind of camouflaged it to look like they weren't actually being super sustainable, but I'll take that one too. Either one of those seems likely. That may be me being pessimistic about, mankind i mean no, so. but I, don't, I don't think you're wrong though because the one thing that they do say about this is that essentially everything there is super expensive and it's just a device for them to get all of the money that is now like uh accruing oh. in all of these soldiers back pay and everything back into the economies so yeah that makes sense to well, me quite honestly what it is is it's a company town that's really what mm-hmm. it is it's just exactly a company town expanded into a planet concept mm-hmm. so yeah, it was. I mean, it it wasn't shocking at all. I'm like, that's exactly what I would expect it to be: super luxurious, super high cost, mm-hmm. burn through your money quickly, which is very common of the old company towns where there was one employer in town that sustained an entire city. Those are the worst. I the stories of those places. Oh boy. But okay, any other thoughts on Lieutenant Mandela? No. Mm-mm. Okay, then. Yeah. We're into Major Mandela. 
And by this time, so those 18 pages, we jumped from 2024 to 2458 <laughs> in 18 pages. Time. <laughs> time. So Mandela goes for officer training. And apparently officer training is to basically put you under for three weeks and pump your brain full of information and kinesthetic practice of all military weapons from the dawn of the human race. I, I imagine it being like <laughs> right. when Luke is healing inside of that tube, plus like the thing jacked into the back of your brain from the Matrix. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was picturing. <laughs> I was picturing the Matrix version, yes. Very much so. Very much so. So, three weeks' time, he becomes Major. He's now got, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years worth of military tactics and history and knowledge crammed into his brain. He's literally like, why do y'all make me a leader? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> distinctively, and I did appreciate this conversation... They did not give him any information about what Earth looks like now, like society outside the military. You know, things that might be necessary to relate to the troops that you're commanding. So that's fine. You don't need that, that stuff. Like, isn't that, though, like going to school to be a lawyer, though? Like you learn everything about the law, but you don't actually learn how to practice it. <laughs> and it's one of my big complaints. It's one of my <laughs> not a lot of professional schools that way. But uh, yes. So instead, he gets... A single conversation in a bar with the uh, colonel. The person who would become his only friend that he had that drink with. No. No? No. Jack Canuck. A different colonel. What? (laughs) Yeah. Listening to the audiobook, I 100% glossed over that. I was like, that's the same person. No, different person. Colonel uh, Canuck is just there to give him information regarding changes in society. Basically give him his psychiatric debriefing. Yeah. Is what they called it. And the big thing that he wanted to get across to Mandela was that all of your troops are homosexual now. Yeah. It is now considered a um, curable deviation to be heterosexual. This, yes. one, this one is the one that where when we started getting into this stuff, I was like, ah, I remember this now. I could have uh, done without all of this stuff. Because it's like, at the time, this would have been very, like, forward, like, ah, but what if it was the opposite? And everyone yeah. would have been like, oh, thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. We're way far past this idea as, like, mental exercises. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, this is like... This, this is akin to that situation earlier on in everything where he went to call his mom or someone else on the video phone and had to go to an operator first. Like, we are so far beyond this, it doesn't make sense to have this conversation with anybody. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And then I think the other thing that threw me off, which I don't think it was in this initial first conversation about it. I think it was in a later on one with like a Dr. Diana, whatever her name was, where yeah. she's like, oh, yeah, they've got eugenics to pick out things. And as soon as they said eugenics, I was done. I was like, nope. Yep. Uh-uh. That's We're a bad word. eugenics alive. <laughs> That's a bad word. Like, oh, no. Like, eugenics. I would have... 
if I didn't have to finish this book, I might have stopped there. Everybody associates eugenics, rightfully so, with World War II, with Nazi Germany. But to be quite honest, oh, it no. has been a concept oh, yeah. for most of mankind's existence as societies. And it's yes. still around today, and it's yes. going to still be around in the future because even today, people can test and pick for mm-hmm. color of eyes, color yeah. of hair. You know, yeah. there's know. all sorts of things that we already do in this. Mm-hmm. Although it should be noted that eugenics in America was used just to keep black people down. Basically, that's it was intentionally skewed. To ensure that white people seemed so much better than black people. And it's the worst thing. And the last paper came out in like the 1990s about Yeah. 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 Not even that long ago. It was like 86 or something. Where they like did things to people actively. But that's that's neither here nor there. This, yeah, the, yeah. the crazy one to me in all of this is that even the bare minimum concept that they say in there where they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. We can we can change your polarity for like um your sexuality or your gender we can swap between the two and i'm just like oh you guys so cute oh just who you say (laughs) but uh in any case the other big piece is that there was a so un unef unef the Mm -hmm. war conglomerate the government it basically become the entire government. <laughs> yeah, a rebellion of veterans that had been back on Earth. The rebellion got squashed. We're still in war. We've everybody's everybody's become everybody is now homosexual on Earth, and if people need replacing, they do it through basically what he refers to as test tube babies. The quickening. They, the quickening. Um, I say this because it becomes relevant later on mm-hmm. in the storyline. But uh, cloning is illegal. Cloning humans is illegal. They are very yeah. specific about cloning humans being illegal. So the population of Earth is floating at just under 1 billion. Which is very minimal, actually. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like how do we... That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> So much space for everything. <laughs> I know, right? Like, God. <laughs> so, in any case, he then gets introduced to his whole squad, squadron, all of his strike force, and they are sent to Stat 138 is the determination. Was it SATA? SATA? Maybe. I th- all I remember is 138. Okay. Yeah, because they said they they stopped naming. They they hit so many places of these. They started naming them after the what was the alphabet that it was first Hebrew alphabet. Yeah, and then they had to switch from the Hebrew alphabet to the Greek. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but basically, go out in the podunk of nowhere and make a base. Yeah, yeah. like he, like <laughs> they had to do back when when he started. Yeah, exactly, and he is one of the and. Basically, he determines that the only reason he got promoted to major was because it would look bad to have somebody who was in part of the original being as low ranking as lieutenant. Although he talks multiple times about just switching with his lieutenant 
Uh, he's like, here, you take major, I'll take lieutenant, and we can go back to doing things the way they should be done. <laughs> um, he, the rest of his team that become critical is uh, Captain Moore, who is who becomes the friend, mm. Captain Moore, and Commodore Antipool, who is the head of the ship. So she's the only person above Mandela on board mm-hmm. because it's her ship. It's He's her in ship, charge yeah. of his, his people. She's in charge of her people and the ship. And has a very cool name. Yes. And then Dr. Diana... I did not get her last name. Prince. Hmm. Mm. No. Diana... Dr. Diana, it's okay. Say it at the very end. Diana... Diana. We'll treat her with like like kid kid Alcivar. doctor rules. Alciver. Alciver. Okay. Dr. Alciver. Oh. Um and he basically kind of establishes that among the officer group, when it's just the officers, the chain of command can be relaxed a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the lieutenant who is very hardcore and is unwilling to relax about any of this. <laughs> so they start going out we get the bumps and you know fits and starts of a 10 month trip out to the new planet the new collapse are that they're going to create a base off of and along comes a cat that the mechanics crew has adopted and they've outfitted to be able to get in the tanks with everybody and it's got its own little suit and Mandela hates the hates cats, hates that there's a cat on board, but realizes that he doesn't really have an option. Like it would be terrible for morale to shoot Give the cat. cat. Yeah. yeah. Which has place on multiple occasions. Um, <laughs> and then uh the other one is somebody, one of the cooks sets up a still and creates a black market liquor exchange. All inevitable. All inevitable. Mandela is like, that's fine. Cause you're, you know, you've established it such that nobody can really get too drunk. So I'll just require that for you to do stuff outside or to do training, you have to be completely sober. Like if you're not completely sober, you don't get to do your, your required training and you get, you know, dinged for that. So be sober when you show up for duty. Otherwise, I don't care. Uh, Dr. Diana gets plastered on the stuff. And Vandela has to think of a way to... Because she basically offers herself up to him. Yeah, she's like, uh, I could uh, be straight for five minutes, Mandela. It's the It's a very awkward part of the book. It's a very awkward. Very awkward part of the book it was definitely I was like okay but (laughs) he ends up being forced to make the right decision because he's not going to make the right decision and then she just passed out yeah yeah I would also like to note he does make a joke that I'm like, haha, I got a secret heterosexual. Just got to get some scotch. Oh, like, dude, yeah. no, thank you. No, thank you. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
they get to the planet and they go down to build and he build he has them build his first ding again the troops dislike him because he makes them build the defenses before building the living quarters which is like i get i feel like as a soldier i would understand i'd be like yeah no you have to build your defenses before you build your home like you can't just build a home without defense so like, that makes sense yeah so they spend several months building and building and building and they get everything put together and then he runs into an insubordination issue it's a nice way of putting all of that you had a little cuckoo. <laughs> you had a little cuckoo. Um, yeah. Clearly, the psyche valves did not catch him, but yeah. uh, he attacks other troop. Uh, one of the other troop members for a while. So finally, Mandela convinces the commodore to basically take him and isolate him, with the permission to basically shoot him out into space if he screws up up there. And as he's getting ready to tell all the troops this and make it official, the guy comes at him and tries to assassinate him. As one does. Fails. And Mandela takes him out, but doesn't kill him. Which really would have been the better option. (laughs) Right? That would have been, like, if he had killed him in combat, like, the troops would have been like, oh, you were fighting for your life. It's Mm -hmm. fine. So, he didn't, the soldier did not die at the assassination attempt. So they go back to the medical base mm-hmm. and Mandela is being treated and the doctor goes to quote unquote, check on check up. the soldier and she comes back in. He's quote unquote, attempted suicide. And Mandela quickly figures out that that is not what, what happened. No. Yeah. And that the doctor has dealt with the problem herself. Uh, the This sets all of the troops on edge because they now think that Mandela directed her to do that. Um, and Mandela's a little pissed, reasonably slow in my in my perception. I'm like, no, he was he was right in his statement. Like he is the commanding officer, needed to be the one to pull the trigger, make the decision give the orders, make it very clear as to what was occurring, why it was occurring, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Like doing it under a guise of suicide just That's shady. It's shady and it's it's not good for troop morale. Yeah. No. That's like a if you have a problem in a peacetime kind of thing where no one's above anybody else but there's an issue. But if there's one person like him that that he's the last person that you should have protected with that kind of thing in the situation yeah exactly exactly Mm -hmm. but in any case that occurs and then pretty close thereafter the torons attack and as mandela has discussed throughout the whole book they never know when they get ready to engage whether they will be meeting torons from their future or their past and so they don't know where they're going to be in terms of skill level, scientific advancements, weaponry, tactical knowledge, any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So he, so they come in and it turns out they're pretty sophisticated. Uh, Mandela and the captain 
and the lieutenant are spending a lot of time watching on what I picture as little radar screens, mm-hmm. yeah. dots in the sky as the Commodore and her fighters and her drones fight off the Torons. Um, eventually, the Commodore ship gets blown up. And one fighter flees. And the Torons land. Mm-hmm. sending huge amounts of troops. And the first several waves, the defense systems, the defense lasers, take care as they're supposed to. But what the Torons have done is basically upon the impact and explosion made the atmosphere so hot that the lasers can't actually function. The defense systems can't actually function. Mm -hmm. So just about as all the defenses are down and the first wave of troops is coming, Mandela makes an offer, tells anybody who wants to, other than those he's already ordered to get into a safety shelter above ground because all of the living quarters are below ground mm-hmm. and 11 people take him up on that mostly part of uh, lieutenants one lieutenant's lieutenant brill's division squad whatever strike force that's what we said strike force anyway um they go out to the safety point And when the troops start to attack, he then orders them out onto the field. Mm. And as he's sitting there, he decides he hates that he's just sitting here and not in the fray of it. So he's going to go out front. And the captain goes, you clearly haven't been listening. (laughs) My client, they think you all are sending them out there for punishment. They're going to kill you. Like, if you go out there, our troops will kill you. Don't do that. That's dumb. Like, wait till the end. Yeah. So it turns out that the fighter plane was not actually fleeing. He was using the nearby Collapsar to basically slingshot himself and his two drones. And he comes back and one drone hits and blows up one of the big Toron ships. Big success. The other drone hits the planet. And in a slight lull, just after that moment, Mandela realizes that it's going to cause an earthquake. His physics brain kicks in and goes, <laughs> get out. Time no, to run. Everybody topside. And he just says earthquake and everybody get everybody topside. And so he flees up and just about the time that they reach the surface, the earthquake hits. And after ordering a retreat into the safety zone Mandela realizes that most of his company ignored his order to go topside and is now under the collapsed rubble of the planet in a sinkhole several miles deep mm-hmm. and obviously dead yeah <clears throat> so uh they are now stuck inside the safety dome that basically slow it's a stasis they call it a stasis dome Mm -hmm. and it slows everything down so you can only use hand-to-hand combat weapons inside because bullets don't actually go with any force Mm -hmm. um 
And so they have all these weapons, and there are about 24 of them. Right? 24, 29. That sounds right. Yeah, small sounds numbers. Right. There's a small, num- small number of them. And they realize, because they're basically, the Torons are going to circle outside, and they've heated it up so much, that they're basically just waiting outside for them to finally mentally break. Yeah, like, and then it's just, they have weapons fire just loaded into that shield thing. So, correct me if I'm wrong, whenever the thing just collapses, it'll just, all all of those previous energy bursts and stuff. Yeah. Well, and so, so darts get thrown in and they kill several people. And so Mandela discovers, you know, he basically establishes a tapping mechanism so that if you start seeing them, you have to tap the person to your right so that the person behind you gets notice Mm -hmm. um, that the darts are coming in to potentially kill them. There is then a wave of the Torrens that actually come in to try and kill them in hand-to-hand combat. They manage to kill them in three-to-one odds. Or six to one odds, some ridiculous amount. Not good. Um, so they lose a few people, but not many, but they know that they can't really survive another attack. So Mandela works out this idea. He has Nova bombs that are in there, and he basically has them placed around the edge of the field and just kind of kicked out slightly. And then it blown up all at the same time and basically creating a massive sinkhole and blowing up the rest of the, the area around them. Um, killing all the Torons that were on the planet. So he knows... So then he and the other physicist do the math and determine that they need to stay in the stasis dome for six days to allow the atmosphere to clear. And come back to a temperature that their suits can sustain. They wait six days in the dome. And then they take the stasis dome down. They have one little fighter craft that can hold nine people. There are 11 of them. So they're waiting for the fighter who got slingshotted. And is going to have to come back and take six weeks to get to them. And once he gets back, they kind of all shuffle around and load onto the two ships to start collapse our jumping back to Stargate. <laughs> By the time they get to Stargate, the year is 3143. <laughs> it's been yep. a little bit. It's been a little bit. And they land at Stargate to a huge amount of amount of aircraft and no defenses down and- to be greeted by Man and there's the, well and there's torn vehicles in the atmosphere and even yeah just there's chilling. two torn vehicles just chilling. just chilling um and they are greeted by man they are apparently the last group of troops expected to potentially make it back mm-hmm. all twelve of them <laughs> <laughs> yep and in the time that they were gone and jumping back. Earth's population had obviously progressed again. They were now all being cloned. And they were no longer homosexual, heterosexual. They were all just beings. Mm-hmm. And those with Mandela include both Captain Moore and Dr. 
Diana, mm-hmm. and uh, a few other people. I think the lieutenant made it. So there are now several colony planets for Earth. Some include old school heterosexuals. Some include, or the rest of them are clones and homosexual mixes. Mm-hmm. I, these are the terms that the book is using. I don't. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it, it's they. They have qualifying remarks on any of this. This is just the way the book is describing yeah. it. Uh, so the clones basically tell them the war's over. Here are your personnel files. You have sufficient back pay to live the rest of your lives. There's not a problem. They, they don't have. Uh, they don't have any pay. They don't have. They have no money. Money doesn't exist anymore. But you, but, yeah. but you can live. It's fine. We'll figure but it. Yeah, out. we'll figure it out for you. Um, you just tell us where you want to go, and we'll take you there. Uh, and again, with the we can reprogram you to different sexual orientations or genders, no problem. Take your pick. Mandela gets his file. Uh, Captain Moore sits down with him and goes, yeah, I'm going to stick it out with you because I don't know if you've tried to have sex with the clones, but not a fan. Um, Not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan. Uh, And Dr. Ariana comes to the same conclusion. Mandela opens his file and discovers a note from Mary Gay. This is the part that I was like, this is such a cheesy and like not not real like there's no way like the probabilities are so small like it's just it's absurd yep it's absurd but mary gay says i wanted to make sure you got this i survived i'm going to a planet called middle finger yes <laughs> a planet called middle finger and i'm gonna be in a basically a time machine spaceship that'll basically just jump back and forth i think they even said time ship at one point in the letter like they said we bought a time ship Bought a time wait, ship. Wait, wait. <laughs> Basically, by the time you get here, assuming you're on schedule, I will only be a couple of years older than you. So, like, get your butt out here. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, homeboy. <laughs> oh, I got this. And so he brings Dr. Ariana and, the, and Captain Moore along with him. And the closing note is that Mary Gay has given birth to a child as the, In the normal way. parent alive uh and the doctor doing the delivery is dr ariana moore surprise yeah. she was a hetero they were both heterosexual the whole time yeah that annoyed the crap out of me yeah. like oh did you have to do that yeah so <laughs> and that's how the book concludes <laughs> this third section was definitely the hardest to read i didn't like the way that we've talked about science things in the past and everything, and just kind of like glossing over it, that was that entire battle with the Torrens for me. I just, I'm okay now. Somebody won, somebody didn't. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, they're in a hole now. I did have to reread when they were doing the stasis bubble stuff because I was like, wait, what happened? Like, why are they in a hole? Why do they have to wait a week? But that was that was about. I think you also glossed over the fact that you found out that the Torons themselves are clones, and that's why that's why man the war ended because man understood them, 
<laughs> yeah, because clones are able to like brain talk to clones cleanly without any kind of issue. Yeah, um, basically. The, one of the things for for this ending that was so odd was obviously just how fast it comes together. Um, yeah, like it it comes together so very quickly, and pretty much everything is wrapped up in this neat little package. Where like now human humans and them get along, and the fir- the first question they asked the Torrens asked when they met humans and were able to communicate was like, "Why did you start this?" And then the humans were like. What? No, you started this. No, you. Oh, and then the humans also go, but we did need money. <laughs> <laughs> we needed an economy at the time, so war. Yeah, no, yeah. Th- there's a lot. There are a lot of like small statements across this entire book that I think are more interesting than the greater events of the actual yeah. book. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It was. But that was the forever one. And it took forever. (laughs) Now that we're at the uh, we're we're on the other end of this whole book. What was the best part for you? And would you in any way, shape or form recommend this to anybody? The best part to me was probably that scene at the end of the second section where they're supposed to be going to Luna and then they get (laughs) ringed up somewhere else. That was probably the best part to me because that was like, yes, that is, that's what would happen. That's exactly how that occurs. You got it. Point. Check. Yeah. That's (laughs) probably the same for me too for the best part is that because it's like, yep, that's, that's that's how it would be and it's kind of sort of repeated when they're like getting different orders to different places and it's like yep that's how it'd be unless you're married in the military they don't try to keep you together just because you're dating uh-uh. mm-hmm. <laughs> and even when you're married it's not always guaranteed um Mm-mm. this is true not always so they try they do really try but sometimes they can't do yeah. it depending on your jobs and stuff so but and i I would possibly recommend it to military theory historians. So somebody who's into military theory, not necessarily, well, or military tactics, somebody who's interested in military tactics, military theory, Mm -hmm. I might recommend it to them because I do think it's an interesting perspective from the soldier level of how wars look. Cause a lot of times when you get, novels regarding military theory, military history, it's from a, the general's level. It's from mm-hmm. the bird's view about the overall how the battle, you know, how the, yeah. how the battlescapes look. And this is much more how does it feel. Mm-hmm. Also, the climbing through the rank thing is very cool to see, too. Yeah. Because that's not something you would typically get from one soldier, necessary. I mean, it's yeah. a very extreme and quick climbing through the rank that is very interesting mm. and it's and it's much more accurate because the rank jumping isn't necessarily because he's exceptionally good it's strictly because he's survived and been around the longest yeah, yeah. like surviving and being there gets you promoted a lot mm-hmm. and it's required for a lot of promotion like mm-hmm. just putting in the time is often required for promotion yep 
Um, I f- I feel like John from the Geeks Watch would read this. Absolutely. <laughs> that's yes. that's actually I the first thought was like John would probably John read this one. Yeah. <laughs> this one. Uh, I don't think I would have been a person who would have any way, shape, or form enjoyed this book if I weren't a person who also read all of the books that my mom had read when she was younger for science fiction. So I like something that's seen as like uh, distasteful socially or anything like that isn't an automatic write-off for me um, because I've certainly seen so much worse and still gotten an interesting kernel out of a book before. Um, also, I was borrowing a friend's copy for this book the first time I read it. So low bar for entry there. Yeah. No, and, and I agree. It, it is definitely one of those off, like we discussed with the time machine when we started that one. It hasn't necessarily aged well. Mm-hmm. Mm. A lot of the the science and the societal concepts don't hold up. They yeah. aren't. Like you know, what he describes as two thousand seven is not the way I remember two thousand seven. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot more Fallout Boy. <laughs> and a lot less space exploration in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think without the without the context of this being written by the person it was with the history, like the personal history that he had, I don't think this book would be any kind of interesting for me. Even with the middle yeah. section that I do enjoy reading, it would be broken. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So, but, so. but what do we have next? What's up oh, next great. after this for the people who are preparing? That's that's Jessica. That's you. I know, right? Guess I um totally forgot till about <laughs> five minutes before we filmed this <laughs> podcast, and so I just went over to my bookshelf and grabbed something that I hope is going to be a little bit more lighthearted that I hadn't read yet, and it's called the Everything Box by Richard Cadry or Cadry. I'm not for sure how to spell. So what drew you to this book? So this book is, I'm not even for sure exactly what it is. I literally, I didn't even read the back of it. I just vaguely remember that it's funny. That's (laughs) good. That's a change. (laughs) I think it's like one of those like fantasy. That's what I was like. That's why I grabbed it. Cause I was like, I need a funny book. And I was like between this one and like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I thought, that's, so, a, that, like, that's a dense read. That's <laughs> a very dense read. Mm-hmm. Although I think we all have read it, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, I bet you Elizabeth and Stephen have read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but this one, I don't know. I guess I'll just read the the back synopsis if you don't mind that, because I really cannot remember why I ever picked it up. But that's okay. okay. So 2000 BC, a beautiful, ambitious angel stands on a mountaintop smiling because soon the last of humanity who survived the Great Flood will meet its end, too. Mm. And he should know he's going to play a big part in it. But when he reaches for the instrument of humanity's doom, he can't find it. Looking over the earth at all that could have been, the majestic angel utters a single word. Crap. To 2015 AD, Coop, a thief specializing in... Purloining magical objects steals and delivers a small box to a mysterious client who engaged his services. Coop doesn't know that his latest job could be the end of him and the rest of the world and will propel him into the company of the Department of Peculiar Science, a fearsome enforcement agency that polices the odd and strange. 
The box isn't just a supernatural heirloom with quaint powers the peculiar agents tell him. It's a doomsday itself, or a bomb, or something. They're not really sure. And suddenly, everyone is out to get it. So, okay. Okay. I was definitely, I, just, I was feeling good omens off that first part. Yeah. I know, and that's why I was like, I feel like this will be good, hopefully a cheerful something. I need something after the front <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so sad. Like I, I have, I have things selected for my next pick already, but it takes so long to come back around to the next time that you get to pick again. <laughs> it's like okay, well, I look forward to that like nine months from now. Yep. Yes. I was like also thinking of doing like a Christmas book or something, but we're actually going to end up taking a little break. For yes. Christmas, so the podcast will be starting again come January sometime. So for us recording, for the, yes, for the people for... out there, they won't even know. No, I feel like there should be a few weeks breaks around Christmas. Because... Oh, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. We were taking time off of posting, not time off. The uh, I remember. Yes, like... I had it flipped. <laughs> we're not going to be but posting actually, after break. cut this part because. We you just posted this week Moonraker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Moonraker movie. Mm-hmm. So this actually shouldn't come out till the start of January. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking. Oh, this isn't coming out. Oh, Forever War isn't mm-hmm. going to come out till. It's okay. Uh, Honestly, I'm already right leaving this part in for for the ease ease of use for myself. <laughs> Everyone just got to see a, a little a little peek inside of how they make the sausage. By the way, don't like start recording way too far ahead. That, that like mm-hmm. it hurts my brain sometimes. I'm like, which episodes up? When is it's, this? It's and then like we the take time, those break. It's like the time dilation <laughs> in the book. <laughs> it's that's how we record. Like it's it's thirty one forty or whatever right now. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Unless Stephen wants to just edit all three of these this week, and Mitch can post them. Nope. Nope. Turns out Steven doesn't want to do that at all. <laughs> Alrighty, like how I, how I delegate opportunity to do work to other people. <laughs> what? But. This will be coming out end of January. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Hopefully you all had a fantastic new year. I know. Yeah. Hopefully you did. Hopefully you did. All right. On that note... Jessica, where can people find you at? You, you can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes. Please, please tweet me to help me keep track of time <laughs> and what's going on in my life. I'll give you a bad time about not being willing to edit three podcasts in a week. So you can find me on Twitter at Peppermint Gent, sort for Peppermint Gentleman, which is the name you can find me as across all other social media. Fantastic. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media, our Facebook page, forward slash Geek Elite Media. Please join us on our Patreon page if you've got mm-hmm. time, particularly in this giving season. I know it's hard for everybody, uh, particularly just post-Christmas. But if you've got a couple dollars and can support us, it would be greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. Not, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. It helps us gain more viewers and listeners, which we really enjoy and appreciate. Hopefully we can share the love of reading again to more people. But until next time, this is the love of pages reminding you to keep turning pages and always remember to geek out.
this concludes our broadcast.